As I was saying, this is the Pentecost Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate the birth of the Christian church. And to help us do that, we're going to reflect back a bit today on our Eastertide series and just kind of synopsize and wrap up what we've been talking about for these last six or seven weeks. And to help do that, I just want to read a passage that I think really captures um, the essence of what we know as Christianity, the essence of the Christian faith, and uh, really speaks to what we've been talking about, uh, this reframing and reappropriating of God through Christ that we, uh, that we all do, that we all do again and again and again in our lives. And that is uh, a passage in John 12, just a few verses, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem to, to attend the Passover paid a visit to Philip, Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said to him, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. The truth is, the truth is, a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. And unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. I'm looking down at the King James that I grew up with and I memorized. I love the Shakespearean poetic sound of this. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. In Christianity, we call this the Paschal Cycle. And we are certainly not the only religion to speak to this cycle but for us, it is the Paschal Cycle. And Paschal is an English word that has come down to us through French and late Latin. You can trace it all the way back through Aramaic to the Hebrew, Passah, from which we get the word Passover. And we call this story that Paul called the Gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, we call this the Paschal Cycle. And as I've thought a lot about the Paschal Cycle this week and over the last several weeks, um, I just kind of found a way to enumerate in my mind the stages of this cycle. And I'm just going to briefly look at those stages um, with you. The Paschal Cycle begins, obviously, with the life of Jesus, a life that is beyond meaningful, a life that is full and abundant, a life that is very easy to love, a life that for his disciples was very easy to get attached to, um, to put their own projected longings onto, a life that was not fully known to them uh, actually in his lifetime. Someone asked me just this week, they said, with the idea of progressive theology, how do we apply that to Jesus? Because wasn't Jesus this ultimate fulfillment 
that was a finished statement of God's goodness. And I totally understand where the question's coming from and can relate. But interestingly, Jesus looked at the disciples, those most immediate to him. He looked at the twelve, and as they were reflecting on his going away, this going away that they didn't understand, this going away that they didn't want to understand, Jesus told them, he said, I have so much that I want to tell you. Actually, he said, I have a lot that I want to tell you even about me that I can't tell you now. There's so much that you don't know about me, Jesus said. But, he said, it's not because I'm holding out on you. It's not because I'm playing some, you know, providential divine game of cat and mouse with you. Jesus said, the reason that you don't know these things about me is because you lack the capacity now. Um, literally, he said, I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them. You couldn't sustain. And one of the things that we really clearly see in the divine movement through time as God relates to human beings, um, religions develop over time and evolve not because God is changing but because our capacity is growing. We've said many times here that you know, the 20th century wasn't when God changed God's mind about women in ministry. Um, the 19th century wasn't when God changed God's mind about chattel slavery. The 17th century wasn't when God changed God's mind about punishing other religions and even punishing heretics within yours with death. When the Gentiles were included in the early church and the Jewish believers were astonished that, that the Gentiles would have access to the gospel without first converting to Judaism, that wasn't a change of mind on God's part. The reality is, as human consciousness grows, we have downloaded to us, through spirit, things that God has been for all time, but we only now have the capacity to hear them. And so, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I have a lot to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead and guide you into all truth. So even those that were connected to Jesus did not understand Jesus fully. But there was a life there that was life-giving for them. And so they clung to that life. It was a good life. And when Jesus began talking about that life ending, literally at times, they not only questioned him and they not only were saddened by it, there were a couple of occasions where they literally rebuked him. They, they didn't want this Jesus that they knew to go away. And then came Good Friday. So the first stage of the Paschal Cycle obviously is this clinging to life as we know it. And then always in our life, again and again and again in our life, come Good Fridays. This is the beauty of good religion, good religious expression, true spirituality. It not only gives us ancient stories to memorize but it gives us eternal archetypes through which to live. And we don't just reflect back on a Jesus who died, but we enter into Good Friday with him. Because ever and again in our life, Good Fridays come. And every time we experience a Good Friday, we do indeed want it to be the last, don't we? But seldom is a Good Friday the last. 
I remember when my great-grandfather, uh, we were laying my great-grandmother to rest, something he said I'll never forget. He looked down at her, they had been married 71 years, and as he looked down at her, he said, I love her, I love her more today than I ever have before, and every day I loved her more than I did the day before. He said, I remember back that 19-year-old boy that fell in love with that strawberry blonde-headed girl. He said, I loved her as much as I could then, but I only had a quart container. But he said, life has a way of wallowing out a capacity of soul. And one of the things that really wallow out a capacity of soul in us are these Good Fridays. They just do. These, these deaths that come our way, they wallow out a capacity of soul. And, and I'm sure good times do that as well. But when I, I thought about him, him saying, I used to have a quart container, but today I've got a 55-gallon drum. That's what he said. The deaths just have a way of wallowing out that capacity. Um, Barbara Wire sitting over here slipped me a piece of paper, I guess, 13, 14 years ago, and I quote it often. A fellow by the name of Andrew Sue said, A widened heart. Now, that's just a lovely phrase in itself, isn't it? A widened heart. A widened heart sees others with hope and possibility as opposed to with a severe, loveless accuracy. That last line is really good, too. A severe, loveless accuracy. That's where you, you, know, you, you bring the woman out who's caught in the act of adultery and you open the text and you say, here it is, stoner, open and shut. That's a severe loveless accuracy. Has anybody ever experienced the severe loveless accuracy of religion? It's an open and shut case. But a widened heart. Well, what widens our heart? Uh, I, I would say nothing widens our heart like the Good Fridays. They sensitize us, they soften us, they mellow us, they, they widen our hearts and they widen our minds and we realize that we're not nearly as smart and not nearly as controlled as we used to think we were. So Good Friday, if the life of Jesus was about clinging to what we knew, Good Friday is about uncurling our fingers from that and Good Friday is that point in the Paschal cycle where we have to learn to name our deaths. We have to admit them, we have to call them what they are, and they ha we have to realize that they are a part of the process, naming our deaths. And then in the Paschal cycle, there is the move to Silent Saturday. I I've said before here, and I think it's absolutely true, that I'm grateful the Apostle Paul did not simply call the resurrection and even the death the gospel but he said fixed between the death and the resurrection Paul said it is good news that Christ was buried and we have made much of the fact that the first people who actually recognized Jesus this was my Easter sermon this year the first people to, re to experience the resurrected Christ were not going to find a resurrection. They were going to tend to a burial. And so Silent Saturday is that space where we are called to grieve our losses. Where we realize that in the Paschal cycle, really 
for the soul to do its work, you just don't jump from death to resurrections. You, you just, you don't suffer the grief, the, the tearing grief of Friday afternoon and immediately, there, it would, there would just be so much spiritual whiplash involved, psychological whiplash, to just immediately turn around and that part of you that's hanging on the cross just immediately open its eyes. It would almost be macabre. And I think, I think a lot would be lost. So in the Paschal cycle, we don't jump from death to resurrection. We wrestle and we go back to our nets and we process and we, we gather up spices and perfumes because the one we knew that has died, the thing we knew that has died was so good that it doesn't deserve to, it doesn't deserve to stink, it doesn't deserve to rot. So in the Paschal cycle, we recognize, as my friend Chris Alicki said to me one time, that all of life is grief work. Because early on, losses begin to incur, right? Uh, simple losses and complex losses. And Kubler-Ross was so right, these stages are not sequential, they're not perfectly consecutive, but you bounce back and forth between denial and bargaining and anger and depression. And depression so often in that grief cycle is really just that moment Depression really is the first stage of acceptance. That ultimate stage we want to get to, acceptance with peace, first begins with depression. Because depression is that moment when you look at all of your bargaining, all your denial, all of your anger, and you realize it does nothing. And there is a collapse of soul. There is a, there is a leaning into the olive press and whispering, nevertheless, after hours of clawing the ground and I mean, even Jesus in the grief process of Gethsemane was, Father, if there be any way. What is that except bargaining? Is there any other way? Silence. And then the depressive acceptance of there is no other way. So we cling to what we know is life. We move to the naming of our deaths and then we move to Silent Saturday's grieving of our losses and then finally comes Resurrection Sunday where the hope that we had nailed to a cross and the life and the dreams that we had buried in the tomb come back to us. And Resurrection Sunday is about claiming our births. It's about this is really the, the beauty of the Paschal cycle, that death doesn't have the final say. That, that literally, like Mary Magdalene and the other women, if you tend to your grief well, that, that tending to the open wound of grief is actually where the resurrection happens. Not running from the grief, but tending to the grief. And the birth comes. But there is always gestation, there is always... There is always delivery, there is always, there is always a process, and then the birth comes, 
the bloody, messy birth comes. And we're alive again. So Resurrection Sunday is about claiming our birth. But this Eastertide series has moved us deeper into the Paschal cycle and said, you know, you just, you, you just don't get everything back up out of the grave and get back to life. Because actually, they would have loved nothing more than just to have got Jesus back the way they had him. And there was nothing more that they wanted to do. When Jesus got out, out of the grave, they assumed this meant that Humpty Dumpty was going to get put back together again and life was going to go back to the way it was. And this resurrected one then began doing some very interesting things. He would appear to them and then he would disappear. It was a bit of a catch me if you can. And, and so actually we know in retrospect, looking back at scripture, that Jesus always intended to leave them and to go away and to come back in spirit. And that's today. That's Pentecost. But I think he knew if he would have just disappeared into a grave, flown out of the grave straight into heaven, I, I think he would have known that there would have been um, an overwhelming of sorts. There would have been a, a step in the process that is sorely needed. The 40 days... Why 40 days? Why that space of time? It was, it was the new life that had come back to them that was a seed of the old life. Or the old life was a seed of the new life. It was Jesus saying, not so quick. This is not putting Humpty Dumpty back together again and it's not going to be the same. So the 40 days is that space in the Paschal Cycle for we are still realizing that we've got to let go. And we're given a space to adjust to our new reality. And Jesus was with them and he moved in and out of their life as they adjusted to the new reality. And just about the time, man, this is just beautiful. I, I, just, I don't know where there's a more beautiful picture of life than the Paschal Cycle. Because just about the time, somewhere toward the end of the 40 days, they really began to figure it out. And in one of his meetings with them, he said, hey, tomorrow I want you to meet me at Bethany. And that sounded just right because Bethany was where they often met with him and it's where his best friends and comrades, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. It was a, it was a really comfortable place for them. And the Bible says that they gathered back together there at Bethany and they just, it was the old team back together, right? Jesus was there and Mary and Martha, it was just like it was before he was crucified and it was just right. And I don't know if they had dinner, but if they did, it probably was a familiar meal. And then after the meal, the Bible said he led them out from Bethany to a mountain. And it was so good and it was so right and life was good again and the Bible said it was so good that they did something they had never done with him before they started worshiping him they they literally just threw down and started Christian worship and as they began worshiping him there the Bible says that Jesus, listen to this, 
Jesus blessed them and began ascending. And now he was leaving them again. And he was leaving them differently than before. As he floated into the heavens and they continued with astonishment to worship him. I, I suppose watching him float into the heavens even fevered their pitch of worship. I mean, what else would you do? Now he's floating up into the heavens. And as they worshipped him, he blessed them. And an angel beside them said, stop. Stop. This is not where it ends. Go to Jerusalem, just like he told you. He's coming back. And the angels must have chuckled to themselves and thought to themselves, he's coming back like you can't imagine. So the ascension, I'll tell you what the ascension is. The ascension is that moment at the end of the adjustment period where you're still kind of bargaining for what was. But ascension is that moment where you let go of the old, you let it ascend, and you allow it to bless you. You don't try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You let go of what you knew and what you loved, and you let it ascend. And then you do something that you don't really want to do because you didn't want it to leave. You open your heart and you allow it to bless you. And then you just, you don't do the right thing as much as you just do the faithful thing. You do the next right thing, I guess. You go to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, you gather in the upper room and you're still kind of stuck in that deal of expecting him to come back the way you expecting life to roll back around the way you last saw it and the day of Pentecost I know this scripture I learned this one didn't come from seminary this one come from being a ten-year-old raised in a Pentecostal church now when the day of Pentecost was fully come there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them Jesus bronze skin sandals no there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak a new language Pentecost is the ultimate blessing of that that has blessed you. Pentecost is that moment in the Paschal cycle where you accept the spirit of the life that is your new reality. You open yourself and realize that if our faith is about anything, our faith says that death is only a step. It is not the end of the story. And the one who headed toward that cross, disappointing his disciples utterly, 
said, you know, except the corn of wheat, except a grain of wheat, except it fall into the earth and die, except the farmer releases it from his hand and even watches it go down beneath the soil and loses sight of it for a while and then waits in hope, in such hope that it even cultivates, works, and waters the soil with no visible evidence that anything is happening. But beneath the soil of circumstance, there is a germination. Beneath the soil of circumstance, death is actually proven to be paschal, not terminal. And before too long, a blade breaks through the soil of circumstances. And resurrections happen. New life happens. And in that new life, in its very fruit, are the seeds of its death. And before too long, even that, even that plant will begin the process we know as the Paschal Cycle. So, what have we said the last seven weeks and even through the Lenten series? Here it is. We cling to what we love. We name our deaths. We grieve our losses. We claim our births. We adjust our new realities. We let go of the old. We allow it to ascend. And we allow it to bless us. And then we finally accept the spirit of the life that is our new reality. That, brothers and sisters, is called good news. Can you say amen? amen. And that is the beauty and the brilliance of this thing called Christianity. Let's pray. Sweet Christ, living one, life that I love, precious Christ who has died, be with us now as we claim our deaths, as we name our deaths, as we grieve our losses as we see in those losses that they are not losses only for if that corn of wheat falls into the earth and dies it will bring forth much fruit may we claim our birth may we learn through the soul work of grief work may we learn to adjust to our new realities May we open ourselves to new chapters. May we let go of fear. May we, like Mary, let go of clinging. May we let go of the Jesus we knew so that we might have open hands to receive the Jesus we need. May we allow, may we allow this life to ascend May we let go and allow it to bless us. And then finally, may our hearts be widened for the distinct purpose of much fruit, of a great harvest. May we receive the spirit of the reality that is our new life. We pray all of this, grateful for the Paschal Cycle. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Christ Jesus and all of God's people said
Amen.